Okay, here we are again, episode five of the Near Memo, where we talk about a lot of stuff around search, commerce, social media, what's going on in the internet, what's happened in the past week. I'm joined, as always, in these five weeks. We've been doing this by Mike and David, and welcome, you guys, and let's get into it. Awesome to be here, as usual. Uh, I think we decided I'm going first, but even if we didn't, I'm going to jump in. Uh, so, Greg, my... my um, News article for the week is something that I found not particularly newsworthy, given that Google had announced it months ago, uh, which is that they're effectively ending support for third-party cookies, and that they uh, the announcement, I guess, is that they're not uh, going to reintroduce a, a replacement. And I think that this, again, it's not it wasn't particularly newsworthy, but it was so funny because a friend of mine actually texted me the Wall Street Journal article about yesterday's news and said, whoa, clearly he hadn't been following kind of what was happening previously. So uh, as we were talking sort of offline, I think I only see this as sort of strengthening Google's position. I think in the grand scheme of their overall revenues, the vast majority of their their revenues got to come from first party uh, ad serving and that AdSense or anything that re relies on third party cookies is, is a much smaller piece of the pie. So. If anything, I think that they're going to come out of this just fine and uh, to the detriment of, of some of the smaller players in the, I would wonder, in the advertising space. I would wonder how many Americans have at least one Google contact point, YouTube, Gmail, search, uh, some photos. In other words, what they have or subscription. They have such vast reach um, that I have to believe that they have some information about an awful lot of people in the, well, and can track them once they're on a Google property. Absolutely. I mean, if you've got an Android phone, you have to have a Google account. You can't set up that phone without a Google account. So, Interestingly, know, I also got an inquiry from my uh, CEO at Bytraject wondering about small businesses' ability to target. And it seems to me that, firstly, Google's ad network was never that great for targeting or generating leads, but within Google, you know, driving ads through Google still should be, if not, well, should be fine, right? For any business. Well, if you're doing retargeting, I think it, it, it works pretty well, but most small businesses aren't doing that much retargeting, I think. Mm. But should they be, I mean, their, their success is not going to be impacted by this, is it? Advertising? Not, not if they're doing anything with search, no. Right. Absolutely not. So it's basically good PR. They're the champion of the pri of privacy, but doesn't seem like it's well. Deal. You know, it's interesting because because um, you know we've got we've got Apple with their sort of IDFA opt in going on over here, and Facebook has just uh, you know gone to war and said this is going to ruin small businesses. And then Google, on the other hand, is the is is taking the the opposite position in a certain way, you know, philosophically. We, we, you know, tr privacy issues have eroded trust and we need to restore trust. And so we're not going to do this. And, you know, I think marketers are just uh, feeling this kind of pinch on both sides, right? They're not going to get, at least in theory, as much data from iPhone users. Uh, that'll be hard for them. Now the disappearance of cookies and nobody's really come up with a good alternative. I mean, there's a bunch of companies out there, LiveRamp and others that are trying to, you know, create these ad IDs or different different identifiers that are replacements but it you know they're they're in a they're they're in a bad position and and Google and Facebook are in a very strong position 
I think. Exactly. And I think the other thing, I mean, theoretically, this makes search ads, you know, marginally more valuable if you don't have the sort of audience tracking uh, targeting capabilities, then you kind of have to go more into search intent as opposed to, you know, broader sort of uh, people, people content based. based intent. Yeah, people based yeah. intent. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it also brings back contextual advertising to a degree too. And there are people working on that, you know. I mean, the irony in my perspective is search was like this great early form of advertising that just was, you know, really reliable because it relied on intent signals. And now we're sort of back to that in a way, you know, it's, it's the ultimate sort of privacy safe advertising, which at the same time is highly personalized because people are expressing their needs. And then particularly when you add in location. Right. It's increasingly personalized. Every 200 feet, it changes. <laughs> That's exactly. right. All right. Well, thank you for letting me get that in. Uh, I think I'll hand it off to you, Greg. Yes. Um, so uh, two two things kind of come together, and this kind of dovetails with what we were talking about a second ago around the notion of trust. Um, so there was a SEO clarity survey about uh, consumer survey, who do you trust, and um, different different issues around uh, advertising and um, a cluster of things. Um, Google was the most trusted uh, trusted provider among the big tech companies, which was a little bit of a surprise coming, coming ahead of Apple. Um, and people were also really happy. It seemed majorities of people said they were happy to give Google their home address and their email address and their browsing history and their location, all this stuff, like 50, 60 plus percent of people said it was fine for Google to have all this information. So that was kind of interesting to see. And then, um, and then there was also a survey that I think you originally found, Mike, about um, reviews indicating that a substantial number, I think it was 40% of people now trust reviews much less than they did a few years ago, indicating some growing awareness of fake reviews and review fraud. So those two kind of come together in this theme of trust. They do. One caution I would make is that the, the uh, SEO clarity survey did not indicate the uh, margin of error or the size. Of, you know, it was 100, 100%, I think. The margin of error was 100 percent. I'm kidding, <laughs> but they didn't indicate the margin of error. Obviously, in a thousand, I can't remember. Was it a thousand? It's a thousand. It's a thousand. Yeah. Right. The margin of error is likely three, four percent, meaning that the differential between the people who trusted Google versus Facebook, Apple, and Amazon was probably less than it appears on. Probably, the probably a very valid point. And the but... other side of it was the distrust factor. Right, was t uh, greater for Google than it was for some of the others. So there's some issues with the survey. And also we have to look at it. You, you've made this point in the past that, that perhaps it's actions that are more important than what people say on a survey. And the question is, I think with Google, are more people turning on more privacy things? Are they searching more on DuckDuckGo? Are they expressing concern? My wife expressed a lot of concern and it unfortunately took me to help her get to the point where she was sharing a minimal amount of data with Google, but, and so it was too complicated, but I wonder if there isn't that underlying bubbling of distrust that I found in my wife. Well, I think we'll, we'll start to see it, right? I, it's, I'm correct if I'm wrong, but I don't believe Google's apps have come out with their Apple privacy nutrition labels yet. 
So, which is interesting that they're taking so long because they've had months to get these out. Um, So it'll be interesting to see once those do formally roll out, how many people opt into sharing this stuff uh, when they download the Google's, you know, voice search app or YouTube or whatever. Well, those health charts though are buried pretty deep on when you go to the app store, you have to scroll two screens to see them. So one, you have to know they're there and two, want to look at them. So I, it is I, I see the nutrition labels as a, as very much a, an opening salvo from Apple. I would not be surprised <laughs> to see them become more prominent very soon. So. Yeah. Speaking of which, I think that email is the next target, right? We've seen uh, John Gruber yeah. at Daring Fireball, you know, very vocal about it. And when you stop to think about it, email is pretty invasive. Yeah, and email is a is a place where people are trying to use it as an alternative to the to the cookie, right? I mean, there's there's tracking coming in, in into email and email addresses as an alternative. One 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 thing um, that I would say about those nutrition labels is that they're kind of a uh, surrogate for something else. I mean, I don't think people will read them carefully and make base. Uh, decisions on the basis of which categories are checked or which ones. No, oh, but they might look at the sheer length of Facebook, for yes. example. And yes, and it, it'll, calls. it'll, 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 right. It'll sort of raise a flag for them or reinforce some perception. I mean, I think the 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 simplicity of the opt-in screen. Do you want to allow this uh, app to track you? Yes, no. Is is so much more powerful, and I think. You know, I'm I'm really eager to see what the actual numbers are when that starts rolling out, and see how many people um, opt in or or don't opt in, because I think that is going to be much more telling about this issue of what people really think and want. Because I don't think that people are changing their behavior despite their concerns. You know, I think that right. people don't trust Facebook; they're very concerned about a lot of privacy things but they're surrounded by other people who are using it. And these tools are the stuff of our day-to-day lives. And we don't have that many options. Uh, you know, you can turn the dials a little bit, but it's, it's pretty tough. It's pretty complicated to really manage this. When my kids were little, I had this big battle with them over sugar in their cereals. And we basically had limited all the cereals in our household. And the battle was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally we gave in and we said, okay, as long as you read the nutrition label and you buy a cereal that doesn't have hydrogenated oil in it, you can buy a cereal. So it took that level of sort of opt out. They had to, for them to actually read the labels, make a decision. How did, how did you enforce that? Uh, we read the labels with them or they read the labels and they were happy because now they could buy cereal. So it really took a fair bit of, I mean, it was an interesting result and they, it's a lifelong lesson in it. So I guess the, the moral of this story is you got kids, make them read the damn privacy label. Did, did they buy the cereal? Did their behavior change based on the information on the label? It, it did. They were they only bought cereals that didn't have hydrogenated oils in them. And oh, that's good. We, were, we accepted that as a reasonable path forward that allowed them to have you know judgment in their lives. I think it's got to get to that level though, where people are forced to read this stuff, like with the opt-out that Apple puts in front of them. You know, here are the things that Google's tracking. You want to really opt into this? You know? Yeah, it's it's a simplicity. Which is, go, go which is where I see it going though. That's what I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that even if it's starting buried two panels down in the app store, I think it's going to get Apple. Will, it's clearly a a not only a 
sort of corporate ethos, but it's a competitive advantage for them um, to get people to opt out of this stuff. So I think that they'll continue to push this envelope. I agree. So it's up to me, I think. Uh, I thought the, I the, 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 uh... the story that I found um, interesting was the decision by Volvo to sell their new EV exclusively online. This is a shot across the bow of every car dealer in the United States and the world. EVs by their nature require much less maintenance, many fewer parts. And uh, maintenance has been a huge issue of, of how dealerships have made a profit. They sell a new car and then they get the maintenance out of that car, whether it's- Especially Volvo dealerships from what I understand. So. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah, notoriously. Uh, well, I can't speak to that personally, but it, it is the reality of the current car industry. I mean, if you if all cars go EV and, you know, GM is and Ford are, GM said 2035, many others are sooner. I think VW is sooner than that. Then the and there's much less maintenance and the need for dealer network is less. And I think that online with some sort of bonobos type showroom for cars is the future of what the car industry clearly it's going to take a long time because there's a lot of cars on the road and people like me drive them forever but once uh you know i go through a car and next my next car will probably be an ev and i uh, wouldn't be surprised if the option to buy it online was was there by that time so it's a 10-year change but it's going to dramatically impact you know a large sector of retail right now i think you said that one percent of car sales happen online uh you know 10 years from now it's going to be 50 percent yeah i i i you know back in the early early days of e-commerce um you know people had a certain kind of notion about what you would buy online you'd buy a book online you might buy certain kinds of commodities online but you're not going to buy a high consideration you're not going to make a high consideration purchase online right or where, where you have to touch and feel something. And that's still true in a lot of categories, but I, I, I now think that people have crossed some threshold of comfort with buying stuff online. And you know Tesla has, I think, paved the way to some degree for this. And people will just, I mean, there is the question of the test drive. And so there has to be some uh, either mechanism to give people like a, like a mattress, you know, you can sleep on it for some period of time and turn it, give it back if you don't like it which is what a lot of these mattress in a box companies do. Um, but I, I, I think this is totally viable. I'm in, in complete agreement. And I think people will be able to configure their cars and the tools will get better and better. And they'll just, you know, they'll get some financing online and whatever consumer friendly lemon return policy. And they'll just buy these cars. You know, I think it's going to happen. Volvo has also been pretty innovative with their, uh, essentially they have a subscription program for a lease where you can sign up for however many months you want to sign up. It basically becomes month to month and then trade the car in and get a new one. Um, totally through a, you know, more, more like a SaaS subscription than, a, than anything else. Um, so if you combine that with the online only purchasing, I mean, I think they're really pushing the envelope with this. That's super interesting, that model, because I think that's, you know, that's like Apple's, you just, can turn in your old iPhone and continue to pay. I mean, I think that's going to be attracted to a lot of people, especially sort of a younger generation of buyers. Who, but it's predicated on a super reliable vehicle, though, and EV offers that possibility, right? I mean, if you need regular maintenance, then it, it that model doesn't work as well. But 
I think if these things are as reliable as I read they can be, then I think that whole combination of minimum, you know, minimal service for 150,000 miles and subscription and, and buy online and maybe a showroom like Bonobo's, you know, where you see the two models that Apple has. Yeah. In a, in a, in a mall or a pop-up store or something, you know, exactly. One, One interesting corollary to this is kind of what happens to the dealers. So historically, uh, auto dealers have been have been big local advertisers, right? They're small businesses typically, but they have a lot of cash, and so they're local TV advertisers, and they've spent a lot of money on digital marketing. They're still in the newspapers, at least when I go visit my parents, they're you know entire pages worth of cars coming up. So, but it, but but it'll be interesting if they're if they're you know if more and more buying goes online, it's already a category where people are doing most of their shopping online. How does that impact them? As, as small business marketers, you know, that's an interesting thing to contemplate. Big changes for sure are coming in that market. So I think we may have a future of retail uh, analysis coming up, little birdie told me at, at some point in this, this next quarter, so. Well, it's a super interesting subject. I mean, there's a ton of stuff going on. Um, we don't have time to talk about all of it today, but um, I, one of the one of the stories that didn't make it into the discussion was the the Target results against the backdrop of some of the other stores that are closing stores, whereas Target is investing and did a huge business using their stores to fulfill e-commerce orders. Really interesting stuff. So on that note... <laughs> All right. I think we're done for the week. So I think, we, I think, think so. Again. Thanks for Thank listening. Thank you guys. All right. Thanks.